the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Come in. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. I know that there's options out there. You can help me by telling friends and family, though, about the show. By letting them know that you can sign up at Apple under iTunes at Rob Black and Your Money. It's Rob Black and Your Money. Um, anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Talk about getting you to retirement. We can talk about... Um, other issues that are out there. We're saving to retire in our 40s. Uh, that's always been kind of a goal of mine. Maybe that's realistic, maybe it's not, but it's a good goal. Um, and I think that's kind of important to have something along those, you know, uh, lines, so to speak. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. The irony of having a strong financial life is that you don't really want it at times. You want what a strong financial life represents. So if your only goal is to become rich, you'll never achieve it, so says John Rockefeller. So the ability to fail and try again someday, that's kind of what wealth gives you. More time to be spent in personal, meaningful ways, that's kind of what wealth should give you. Stronger choices for loved ones, like schools, neighborhoods, and vacations. That's what wealth should give you. The chance to continue to develop yourself through travel and education and painting and reading. That's what wealth should give you. Wealth is a weird, weird thing. Like happiness and success, it can't be pursued directly. A lot of people try, but they're never, ever satisfied. Once they make the money that they they uh, used to think would make them happy, they try to find something else. They find that something's missing. Um, oftentimes, it's just more money. And for me, I kind of 
fall into the world of, you know, I'm not going to say the millennial experience is everything because that's not quite right. But for me, it's it's very much so. Uh, I I don't need a fancy car. I don't need a fancy wife. I don't need fancy dinners. They're lovely, all of those things. But I've got a good, reliable truck because I do things that make me happy in the truck. Um, haul around soccer equipment, haul around yard stuff, um, and that makes me happy. So things that you want aren't crafted out of thin air. They're observations of, of you know how things work, in my opinion. So money is worthless by itself. I think that's a fair statement. It's only valuable if it can be, get you something else that you want. It's never an end goal. It's meant to touch many, many, many hands. So I have a friend who, she came out of a car accident. Um, having lost a loved one, but she also came out with a lot of shares of Apple and she has the ability to do whatever she wants financially, but she's been very, very conservative because her heart was healing. And at some point in time, she has money to travel. She has money to do what she wants. So you don't want to hoard it, but you want to have the right mind frame when it comes time for it. You want to use your money to connect with others more strongly than you could without. Money's like love. It kills slowly and painfully the ones who, you know, who withhold it. It enlivens those who turn it on to their fellow man. So smart money is slow. I agree with that. The best money managers in the world think slow before an action because the better money decisions require you to take pauses. You know, I believe otherwise, if you watch movies like Wall Street, greed is good. But you're seeing speculation. So uh, Warren Buffett once said, our favorite holding period is forever. And I think if you were to use another Warren Buffett thought where you have only 20 investment decisions in your life, use them wisely, um, you would slow down before you bought something. So I was asked a question recently of... Who would you give $20 billion to, General Motors or Elon Musk? And you have to stop and think that one through. Because General Motors aims for a 20% return on capital. That's a pretty good return. Way better than you're going to get in a bank. But Elon Musk has got a lot of great ideas. No one has ever given Elon Musk money and made money. He hasn't made money at his companies yet. Um, but General Motors pays out a dividend of about $2 billion a year to shareholders. So you always have to stop and ask yourself, what's this question even mean? I like slow money. So I own shares at Disney because it's a dominant franchise. Um, that chick, Cinderella, she has not worked in a very long time. Um, and Disney owns her. And they're like, hey, let's let's go release the, the the dungeon and bring Cinderella back out. Remember what Cinderella? Remember what Disney used to do? And this was just evil. Um, back when we had VHS tapes, you'd hear commercials like, "Now for a limited time, for 20 weeks only, we're opening our vault, and we're bringing out a digitally remastered Cinderella on VHS, and DVD, and Blu-ray, and Laserdisc, and." Uh, 
you could have Cinderella. Like that chick, she, she hasn't worked in 50 years, 60 years. So, and now there's a Tinderella out there. Um, there's actually a Cinderella ballet, and somehow I bet Disney's making this money on that. So making money <clears throat> is boring, in my opinion. Um, we see the drama in it, but it should be more boring. You should have a good portfolio that does well in a down market and does good in an up market. I don't want you to hit a home run, but I also don't want you to strike out. A good portfolio has different components to it, like a good baseball team. You need a strong first baseman. You need a strong second baseman. You need a short, quick, wily little guy who could play shortstop. Possibly you can give up a little bit of fielding for a better hitting third baseman. You need strong pitching. You need a catcher who's general. And that's like that's why you need companies like Disney. You know, they play a certain role. They're not going to get you in a lot of trouble. And maybe you want a company like a Chevron or an Exxon who is tied towards energy. And, and you know, it's for the foreseeable future, we're going to consume a lot of energy, although less so in cars than before. So you save money bit by bit. You invest it. You receive dividends or income. You reinvest the proceeds. You compound your earnings year after year. It's not a lot of drama. Sometimes for me, I've learned that money means saying no. I've got a lot of friends who want to go to the Warriors game, the Giants game, the Sharks game, and saying no to almost every opportunity to part with your money is a key to financial success. Most of us waste our money. Um, learn to say no to the good so you can say yes to the best. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Take a break. We'll be right back. This Rob Black and your money. You can find me at Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Spinners. Have you seen kids dying to have one? Ma'am, I want a fidget spinner. <clears throat> you probably not, because they're now no longer cool to have. They cost around five bucks, and while they're said to help children with various learning or attention disorders re- relieve nervous energy, their recent turn is owed to a standard goofing around, not behavioral therapy. And teachers hate them. Principals hate them. Parents are reminded that if a child's using a fidget as a toy and not as a tool, it should remain at home just like all toys. So there's a company called Five Below, which had a blowout quarter because of a preteen retailer, and they sold fidget spinners at a pretty fast clip. I would avoid. To me, kids are very fickle. 
teenagers are very fickle. They have a lot of disposable income for sure. But um, it's like teenage girl apparel. What's in one week could be out the next. So be cautious. You're trying to look for dominant players, not trends, not, not short-term trends. Um, <clears throat> so I want to talk about another concept along the world of toys, right? There's a company called Electronic Arts. And I remember in sixth grade, seventh grade, coming home from school and playing Bird versus Johnson. No, no, it's probably 10th or 11th grade. Bird versus Johnson. And it was on the Commodore 64. And it was made by Electronic Arts. And I would either be Larry Bird or Magic Johnson. And it wasn't a super complicated game. Uh, but it was one-on-one. And that goes back many Many, 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 many years since I've been in 10th grade or 11th grade. Um, Electronic Arts puts gamers in the action. Uh, they're pretty well known for Madden NFL, FIFA Soccer, Star Wars, and Battlefield, Mass Effect, The Sims. Bird, one-on-one with Magic Johnson. It still makes the most of its revenues from games played on consoles from Sony and Microsoft and on personal computers. Uh, they provide online social games, such as those from Hasbro, like uh, Monopoly. They are getting into competitive gaming. Now, you may not think competitive gaming is something to think about, but literally, many, many years ago, when we played computers, you would play them by yourself. Pong, and you would play against a computer kind of thing. Then you were playing Pong against another human on a console. And then that console got onto the Internet, and suddenly you were playing someone across the country and someone across the world. And then suddenly they... Uh, video games like Call of Duty and Battlefield let you play 16 people versus 16 people, so it's 32 people. So there's competitive sports leagues now. If you go to twitch.com, twitch.com, um, Amazon bought them, where people watch video games, and they cheer. And there's a video game out right now that I don't know the name of it, um, but basically it's it's got an island setting, and it's just brutal. It's teenagers just killing each other. It's kind of like the Hunger Games, but more brutal. And it's the way they show it on Twitch is pretty fascinating. It looks like um, <clears throat> you're watching a murder. Like You're like, no, dude, behind you, behind you! And you're totally into it. It's immersive. In Korea, they'll sell out 20,000 people arenas to watch video games. So, that competitive sports gaming is Taking off huge. Hi, my name is Philip. Ask me about my Or, as my friend Donald would say, huge. Huge. Um, I don't think there's a U. I don't think there's an E-W-E. Huge? How are you, say, how are you saying that? I know what's good and bad. Um, so Electronic Arts is out there. And they continue to do quite well. So I just bring that up because... Uh, I think it, as a nation, we sometimes think of something like uh, video games as childlike, right? And I don't think we should. So, um, because there's a lot of money in them, right? Are you with me against me? So back in 2000 and let's see, when did I send this email? 2005. I, I used to record all my notes for my radio show. And it, I wrote this, I did the radio show. I've been doing it for 20 years. So as soon as I got the internet and was able to put stuff on Yahoo for free, I like I should save all this stuff. So sales of video game software for computers back in 2005, consoles and handheld devices reached a record $7.3 billion in 2004, a 4% increase over the prior year. Consoles were bigger than computer versus portable. 
Now you look at people like uh, Apple, and they're going to make over $3 billion in, 20, in 12 months on Pokemon Go because they're getting a piece of that action. Um, when you go to Apple iTunes and you get Netflix, they get a piece of that action. So it's a good business to be in, right? So these were notes from <clears throat> literally, what, 12 years ago? 12 and a half years ago? And I was doing a radio show, and I was saying, like, video games, pay attention to sales. And if you take a look at the stock at that point in time, it was a 15, <clears throat> it was a $25 stock, and today it's 105 It's a pretty darn good return um, over 12 years. Pretty darn good return, all for playing video games, right? So I'm not telling you to go buy it now. I'm just saying video game industry, some hits are bigger than movie hits. And there's a lot fewer people. There's there's been a lot of people working on these projects, but a lot fewer than a movie. If you ever watch The Crawl on a movie now, it seems like it never ends. You've got like, you know, 28 gafers. 14 gophers, 16 golfers. Like, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of jeers. So, anyway, something to look at because, um, I don't know. That's just me. Um, as it turns out, Americans, regardless of income, spend a lot of money on luxuries. So, this surprises me. Low-income families spend 40% of their money on luxuries. People who make the most money spend the biggest chunk of their incomes on luxury goods, but even the poorest households spend a significant chunk. The wealthiest families spend around 65% of their income on luxury goods and 35% on necessities. Um, <clears throat> the lowest income families, they spend 40% of their money on luxuries and 60% on necessities. So the bottom line is that two-fifths of earners make $47,000 or less, and the middle two-fifths make 47000 to 134000 and the top fifth make 134000 and above. So... Luxuries are defined as goods or services consumed in greater proportion as a person's income increases. We tend to think of spending on luxuries as an indulgence driven by emotions. Consumers who experience a loss of control are more likely to buy products that are more functional in nature, such as screwdrivers and dish detergent, because they're typically associated with problem solving. And you can kind of control it, so to speak. Um, So we spend a lot of money on unnecessary things. Women are more likely than men to overspend because of stress, while men say excitement leads them to spend too much. Households at the bottom of the income ladder are more likely to overspend because of stress than households who make $100,000 or more. So I think I think the sweet spot of, of, of nuttiness has to be the, a poor woman who's stressed. Right? Um, just bad spending, bad spending. I think a lot of people keep themselves poor by getting luxury items. And a lot of people keep themselves poor by, you know, spending way too much on stuff that we don't need. Yes, I wear $5 sunglasses. Because uh, the one time I had a $150 pair of sunglasses and lost them, I wasn't too thrilled. Where do those sunglasses go? Sunglasses heaven? You can find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black. Join the conversation, 800-516-1220.
That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. Um, I can't say that enough. Or maybe I can say it enough. So, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One of the areas I want to briefly discuss is California home prices and just some ramifications because there's a big story in the New York Times about this today, the cost of a hot economy in California and I live in California, and you know, I've been looking at other locations inside of California. But for the same bang for my buck, maybe a warmer climate, maybe warmer sand, something along those lines. Maybe half the year there, half a year here kind of thing. The full-fledged housing crisis has gripped California, where the lack of affordable homes and apartments for middle-class families is severe. The median cost of a home now is a staggering $500,000, which is twice the national cost. Homelessness in the state is surging. In Los Angeles, booming with construction and signs of prosperity, some people have given up on finding a place and have moved into vans with makeshift kitchens, hidden away in quiet neighborhoods. In Silicon Valley, an international symbol of wealth and technology, lines of parked RVs are a daily testimony to the challenges of finding an affordable place to call home. Some employees are living in their parking lots. Um... They're, inside this article, it, it, they quoted a woman who was a nurse. She goes, I make really good money, and it's frustrating that I can't afford to live close to my job. She commutes two hours a day from her home. So I know the feeling. You know, um, I'm wealthy. I don't feel like I'm living a wealthy lifestyle, but I feel like I'm 15 minutes from the beach, three hours from great skiing, you know, uh, pretty good weather year-round. Uh, I feel good. I feel good, as O.J. Simpson once said. I feel good. Um, the extreme rise in housing costs has emerged as a threat to the state's future economy and its quality of life. It's pushed the debate over housing to the center of the state and a lot of local politics. Um, neighborhood groups and local electric officials are demanding an end to strict zoning and planning regulations. My city that I loved and fell into charming love with eight years ago is now turning into a s-hole a rat hole a rat race um, I don't really have friends because they're all working so hard to make ends meet and you know the friends that I have are from outside the area the extreme rise in housing costs has emerged as a threat to my quality of life so lawmakers in California and Sacramento is where our lawmakers work considered extraordinary legislation to crack down on communities that have systemically delayed or derailed housing construction proposals, often at the behest of local neighborhood groups. Now, I don't want that construction because I kind of like to having a small town, not even a city, a town. And they just started construction on 200 new units. They just finished construction on about 300 new units right across the street from each other. That's a lot of housing coming in. And they're not changing their plans for high schools or elementary schools or anything like that. They're not changing their plans for roads. They're just getting more people packed in. Uh, once the city got an in-out burger, it just exploded. 
And that explosive cost of housing have spread like wildfire around the state. There's no longer a coastal elite housing problem. This is a problem that's in big swaths of the state. It's damaging the economy. It's damaging the environment. People are getting pushed into longer commutes. So California has had this economic boom. The crisis of the price of the state's economic boom is, you know, housing costs. Tax revenue is up. Unemployment's down. The churning economy has run up against 30 years of resistance to the kind of development experts say is urgently needed. So for years and years and years, California just turned its nose and said, no, 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 we don't need to really think about um, adding roads or, or apartments or a place where our teachers can live. California has always been a desirable place to live, and over the decades it's gone through some spasms of high housing costs, but that combination of a booming economy and lack of construction have made the, it the worst housing crisis in memory. Housing in L.A., San Francisco, San Jose, and San Diego have jumped 75% over the past five years. So you have one uh, politician sponsoring a bill that says one out of 130 housing measures um, ultimately has been put forward in legislation. 130. And it's going to restrict one of the biggest development tools the community wields, the ability to use zoning, environmental, and procedural laws to thwart projects. So you feel cramped now, it's going to get more cramped. But maybe you flood the market with enough low-cost housing that some people start going, you know what, I don't need 2,500 square feet, I need 1,600. You know what, I don't need 1,600, I need 1,200. So Governor Jerry Brown's going to do something this year, in theory, as far as a brown you know, broad housing package, trying to intend to encourage the construction of housing for middle and lower income families. So, and a lot of times, you know, that sounds great, but the reality is, is um, low income housing is turning into 400 square foot apartments, which is fine for some people, but it's really not a solution. This gives developers a great gift and not giving residents and voters a chance to cast their opinions. Um, the worsening housing crisis has created a political environment where prospects for state housing intervention appear more likely than ever. In Prop 13, you'll get some you'll get some turnover, and when you do, you'll get higher tax revenue. I think we're at a breaking point in California. The doubt create the drought that we had last year, and the year before, and the year before, and the year before, and the year before, has created opportunities to push forward water policy that would have been impossible before. Now, given the breadth and depth of the housing crisis in a lot of parts of California, it creates opportunities for the legislature that's never existed before. California has had a process that sets a number of housing units, including low-income units, that each city should build over the next several years based on projected growth. A friend of mine lived in San Francisco, and there was like a kind of a small school that was very low profile. You didn't even notice it. They got destroyed and they put five buildings up, one for luxury and four for uh, low income and, you know, uh, kind of charitable housing. It's hard to say exactly what projects are going to get done and what projects aren't, but like Los Gatos, it's a long-running dispute over proposed development for 320 homes in that city. Um, cities regularly make developments smaller than their zoning allows something that gradually chips away at the future housing production. California is the toughest market in the United States for first-time home buyers, and the cost of housing 
is beyond the reach of almost everyone. Despite having some of the highest wages in the nation, the state has also the highest adjusted poverty rate. It's a beautiful place, beautiful weather, beautiful people, terrific economy. Um, you got to build a lot to accommodate everyone that wants to be here. Coastal cities have the worst housing problems. They've got the most scarce land. The high cost of all housing is first and foremost that result of a failure to build. Take a look at Santa Barbara, and they, they refuse to build. So the state's added about 311,000 housing units over the past decade, or 75% of what economists say is needed. So a lot of measures, a lot of, of votes, a lot of elections are going to be tied in California to what we're able to pull off and or not pull off with future housing. And, and what does it look like to you? For me, it makes me want to move. Um, it's not that I don't want low-income housing. It's that I don't want more people near me. So if I do, I want more bang for my buck. That's just me, though, right? So 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Bitcoin and ETH, Ethereum. Ethereum. Both crashed over the weekend. Bitcoin fell below 2000 for the first time since May 17 hit a weekend low of 1758 before rallying back to 1900. Bitcoin continues to be plagued by uncertainty stemming from disagreements amongst the currency developers over how best to run the blockchain uh, platform Bitcoin is traded on. A lot of people think Bitcoin's been moving higher this year in large part because of ransomware. Companies don't want to admit they've been hacked, so they pay the ransomware. Typically in Bitcoins is what people want. What the pirates are, mate. Give me Bitcoin, not gold. Give me a woman, not gold. So Disney plans an Epcot makeover. It's a world of laughter, a world of fear. Uh, the, the big golf ball. Um, you know, the Epcot Center. Uh, roller coaster and a Ratatouille themed ride are among the new attractions that will be added. Uh, part of Disney's efforts to infuse the 35-year-old future and culture theme park with more of its character brands. They're going to focus on major storytelling and immersive experiences that are planned at other domestic parks in its bid to keep gate turnstiles turning by maximizing fans' familiarity with its movies. This is all part of what came out of D23 Expo in Anaheim this weekend. So they also showed a lot of movies that they're working on. They showed you know, a lot of their ideas. Uh, what was missing big time was the... Han Solo movie. We got nothing on that. We got a little more behind the scenes of The Last Jedi. But it felt like something is really wrong with that Han Solo movie. Can you read my mind? Man, the new killer song, The Man, sucks. But I still like this one. Anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. One of the things I like to do is talk stocks. Um, when you hear me talk stocks, consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks mentioned. It's for informational purposes only. Please, please, no wagering. This is an exhibition. This is not a competition. Are you with me? Are you against me? So I've talked a little bit about some stock ideas. I've talked a little bit about some sectors and some maybe some metrics. You know, when I talked about when you see how big a Best Buy is, it's how many how much sales do they get per square foot? Um, it's an interesting question, and it's something that when you would look at an investment, you have to say to yourself, "Let's think about this for a second, right?" Let's let's not just go. I like I like the way they spell their 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 name, um, or it's done well in the past. You got to do better than that. Um, something that I look at sometimes are winners and losers. Now, I like ETFs for most investors. That's not always going to be appropriate, but that's where I like to start. And one area that's doing well right now as an ETF, it's the PowerShares DWA Healthcare Momentum ETF. I don't like PowerShares for investing, unless it's going to be for trading. So PowerShares, you're taking a lot more risk, and over time it doesn't really pay off, and it typically dilutes your earnings, your returns, in my opinion. President Donald Trump promised during his campaign, we're going to win so much, you're going to be sick and tired of winning. You're going to say, please, Mr. President, I have a headache. Please don't win so much. This is getting terrible. Now, you don't have to look too far into the news to see that Obamacare and the GOP's failure to repeal Obamacare was probably not what the president had in mind when he said, winning. Winning. So the... Winning. So the PowerShares DWA Healthcare Momentum ETF, ticker symbol PTH, has been a big winner um, outpacing the market because repealing Obamacare, our, our, our healthcare costs have gone up. Our healthcare spending has gone up since, since we put Obamacare into place. But I'm not going to just say blame it on Obama. I'm going to say in the last 40 years, we've seen nothing but healthcare insurance, healthcare costs. Uh, a friend of mine had some really bad, um, how shall we call it, um, problems with getting food out of her body. Ah! And she goes to the doctor, and you and I would say, hey, take a laxative, or take some, uh, what, what would you refer to, probiotics maybe, try to change things up. And her doctor looked at her and, you know, took a look at, you know, say, you know, probably take some probiotics and such like that. But I'm also going to order you an ultrasound on your lady parts, just in case something's blocking that whole area down there. And ultimately, she gets an insurance bill for $800. each. says, like, I didn't tell the doctor to do that. And he said to do it. I thought it was going to be covered by insurance. Um... She can't really afford it. And it's a great example of who's at fault. Is it the insurance company for not paying for something a doctor said do? Aren't doctors supposed to be experts? And the healthcare insurance company saying, no, 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 no. 
And I, I think we just all need to be more informed consumers and say, what's that code? And can I call my insurance company before we run that test? Like, it sounds crazy, but I, you know how many people I know, and I don't know if you talk to your friends, that they, they get into insurance products, and then they're incredibly disappointed by said insurance products. So one thing that I like to do with some of these power shares and things like that is to see what their holdings are. Like Clovis Oncology is inside the PowerShares DWA Healthcare Momentum Fund and sticker symbol is CV, CLVS. If I haven't heard of it, tonight I'm going to do a little bit of homework on it. Align Technology, sticker symbol ALGN. If I haven't heard of it, I'm going to do some homework on it. Now we talked about a sector that's doing well. Let's talk about a sector that's not doing well. North Korea is run by a little freaky dude. And he doesn't tend to really get along well with the United States or South Korea. So guess what? There's an ETF that's tied towards South Korea. So when North Korea fires a missile capable of hitting the United States, you're pretty darn sure they have a missile capable of hitting South Korea. So those shares, the iShares MSI Morgan Stanley Country Index, MSCI, South Korea, ticker symbol EWY is South Korea. And Samsung's a big name on that ETF. And it makes you ask the question, like, what would happen if North Korea did kind of elevate tensions? Or what if Apple's better than Samsung? Or what if Samsung's better than Apple these days and making record profits, which they are? Where do you put your money and who do you trust? So I'm not telling you to play the headlines, but you can certainly see how North Korea testing a missile has affected South Korea. So the more of these ETFs that you know about, maybe you say, I'm going to do a trade. I don't know. Consult a broker advisor for taking action on anything mentioned. <laughs> I'm not your broker advisor. Take, you know, keep that in mind. I don't know your risk profile. I don't know your uh, education. I don't know your experience. I don't know uh, if you've got a big tumor on your back that's growing and you don't see it. And you're going to one day have to quit work because it's going to get so big it's going to take over part of your brain. I don't know these things. Um, and that's why being an investor is so unique, so independent, and that's why we're all so different. And uh, we should approach that with a lot of honesty with that. So don't think that there's one size fits all when it comes to talking stock, when it comes to picking stocks. It, it, it's not that way. So some of the things that I would own in my portfolio are way too risky for my mother. And some things that you know my kid would own uh, feel way too risky for me. So, do you see the idea? I'm Rob Black. You can find me at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Find me on the radio uh, Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. And on Mondays and Thursdays, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you'll hear CFP Chad Burton, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. On Fridays, there'll be a replay that's best of. Find me online, Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. And don't forget, if there's a seminar coming up, use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.